Welcome to the IOMS podcast series, where we gather for conversations from top surgeons across the globe. In this series, we're exploring the history of the specialty from the unique point of view of each global region. How did the specialty evolve as a distinct area of practice? Who were the key players? Where is the specialty heading in the future? In this concluding episode, a panel of women surgeons from across the globe share their experiences and hopes for the future of diversity within the specialty. Let's listen in. Good morning, everybody. I am really excited to come to you from Atlanta, Georgia, um, in the United States, to speak with my colleagues from around the world um, about the inclusion of women in our specialty. And um, as a as a as a way of getting started to get to know each one of us, my uh, area of expertise is uh, teaching at this point in time. However, I currently am an associate professor at Emory University, and my career actually started in private practice up in New York. I work currently with a group of amazing residents and colleagues uh, learning to become an academician in my uh, second half of my career, and I've really been enjoying um, mentoring and teaching the next generation of surgeons, and it's such a privilege to be with my colleagues. Next. Up, let's uh, let Dr. May say good morning. Hi, good morning, everyone. So uh, my name is May, and currently I am in Hong Kong. Um, I'm practicing as a private uh, in the private sector in Hong Kong, um, and I did uh, both my training in dentistry and maxillofacial training here in Hong Kong. Um, but I was actually um, I'm I'm uh, Chinese by birth, so I was born here in Hong Kong. And I'm Filipino by upbringing, so I have lived in the Philippines, uh, grew up there, and then I'm Canadian by residence. So um, I did a, a bit of college studying um, and finished high school in Canada. And that's when um, I came back to Hong Kong and started to do dentistry in my training. So currently, um, other than my work in the private sector, I'm also doing um, an honorary assistant professor at the Faculty of Dentistry in the University of Hong Kong. So I'm involved with both undergraduate and postgraduate teaching. And yeah, and I'm currently enjoying what I'm doing and trying to be just a little bit both um, exposed to different fields to get to know different people and experience different kind of experiences. Thanks, Dr. Chang. How about Dr. Shan? Good morning. Uh, well, my name's Jocelyn Shand and I was born and raised in New Zealand and I did my dental degree there. I've worked in four countries, including the United Kingdom and in Melbourne, Australia, where I did my medical degree and surgical training before I spent a couple of years in the United States for fellowship training in Oklahoma and Pittsburgh. I live in Melbourne and I'm the head of program at the Royal Children's Hospital and an associate uh, professor in the Department of Paediatrics. I've been fortunate to be involved in professional organisations and I was the president of our association, ANZOMS, chair of the board of studies of our college, and I've just finished a term as the Oceania representative on the International Association. Like a lot of people from Australia and New Zealand, I love travel, but sadly this has stopped in the last two and a half years due to the pandemic. Thank you, Dr. Shan. And Dr. Liao. Hello, good morning to you. Hello, thank you, Dr. Drew. First of all, I have to say that it is a pleasure to have the opportunity to exchange ideas and experience with you today. Well, as I said, my name is Ana. I live in Vitória, a little city near uh, Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. 
this is where I was born and raised. It, it, it is also here that I did all my dental and OMS training. Additionally, I did my master's degrees in Sao Paulo with emphasis on TMG disorders and orofacial pain. And in my work routine, I'm in the private sector, in the major private hospitals on my city and on my private clinic too. I'm an assistant professor too on a local university chair of oral and maxillofacial surgery. Right now, uh, engaged with both undergraduate and postgraduate area too. And finally, I have just returned from a fellowship in Switzerland where I had the opportunity to work at a university hospital of Basel for a couple of months. It was an incredible exchanging experience too. That's it. Very exciting. What an honor to be with all of you this morning and this evening. Let's get started. And I think the first thing we'd like to hit on here in terms of topics is really talking about how did our involvement in organized oral surgery, especially like the international community, maybe your local societies or even your country societies impact your career? And then how did attending these meetings introduce you to maybe mentors or just even in in addition, if I can be a little bit more clear, how did they you know, help you when you spoke to other women you got to meet at these meetings. And let's let's kind of give a little bit of a summary of how that did. So Dr. Chung, why don't you take that first? Sure. Thank you, Dr. Drew. So um, uh, it's my pleasure to share the experience um, of this pathway uh, with, with everyone. So um, I actually finished um, training and had the opportunity to be involved with locally the Hong Kong Association of Oral Maxillofacial Surgeons. And Professor Neville Salmon, he's uh, one of uh, my biggest mentors. He was the chair professor at a university, and he was very much involved with IOMS. And the year that I finished my specialty, that was in 2017, it was also the year that Hong Kong had bid for the ICOMS 2017 to be held in Hong Kong. And um, I was honored to be invited to be um, involved with a social aspect of it. And it is during that organization um, process that I get to meet with different presidents of IOMS. So at that time, there was um, Dr. Um, Alexis Olsen, there was uh, Dr. Larry Newson, and, and one of the uh, person who has left a big impression on me is um, Dr. Gabrielle uh, Malesi. So she was, yeah, she was a woman and she was uh, very um, advocating different aspects of um, IOMS. One of them being the next gen, which is a group of young um, surgeons. And through these chats with these different people, um, I got to understand and appreciate that we only not work as clinician, but as educator, philanthropist, and to be active and involved with our specialty. And um, it was the same year that I was also involved with um, organizing, uh, co-founding a group in Hong Kong called the Young Oral Mixiofacial Surgeons in Hong Kong. And it was very new to me, but it was very similar coincidentally to the um, concept of next gen. And in that sense, I felt like um, this is not something that um, is just uh, unique uh, to to me, but um, a lot of different uh, people are advocating different activities to get different people more involved. Then um, currently I'm also involved with a Hong Kong Dental Association called the Women Dentist Committee. So um, where we try to get uh, more women involved in all kinds of activities. And I find like um, 
all these work weave together, like the female identity in us, our place in the society and um, revealing the interdependence between us. And we are continually evolving, growing, expanding and unifying as a, a group. So um, that's how I got into um, connected to um, IOMS and now here. That's excellent. I love the story and how all of this has kind of gelled together for you. And now you're mentoring and bringing other people up behind you by being involved in these societies. And you should be very proud of what you're doing. Dr. Liao, tell us your story and your involvement in the ICOMs and organizations, please. Thank you, Dr. Dur. Well, since residency, I have always been very engaged with local OMS organizations, like in my state and my city. Uh, I have been a member of the Brazilian College of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery, and I have had the opportunity to meet my mentors and people who inspired me and made part of my training, too. And these people gave me opportunity to be part of the organization and scientific committee of some of the events of my states. We have great women here in my state, many uh, women surgeons. So this is very encouraging and inspiring for us. Well, the, the International, International Association uh, events were also important in my professional networking, especially the icons. Uh, in Rio de Janeiro, 2019, which allowed me to meet surgeons from all over the world and even from the hospital in Switzerland, where I would later do my fellowship. So this is this was very important for me. Uh, with the arrival of the pandemic, being being a member of the International Association allowed me to have contact with so many surgeons around the world during the lectures that I was able to attend. And all of the in these occasions, uh, listening and talking and even talking to women surgeons who have similar issues that we deal with in our day-to-day lives, it's very encouraging. It's encouraging. That's it. Excellent, Dr. Leal. Really great comments. And, um, you know, I believe truly that our village is global especially as women surgeons. And since there are not many of us in the world, when we have each other to chat with and we realize that all of our challenges and our happy moments are pretty similar, it really makes you feel much stronger. Dr. Shand, I'm sure you can add to this conversation in a way that would be so impressive. And we look forward to hearing your comments about your journey. I think collegiality is one of the keys. And for collegiality, it's important to attend local branch and national meetings, as we've heard from the two other uh, members of this panel. We're geographically isolated in Australasia, so it's important for us to try and attend international events. And the ICOMS is an integral part of the International Association, and it allows you to see what's happening in the surgical world, as well as putting some names and faces together. In 2015, Melbourne hosted the ICOMS, and I was part of the local organising committee and the team that worked together for four years to prepare for that. In the lead up, we travelled to a variety of other meetings in different countries to promote our ICOMs, and this proved to be a wonderful chance to meet many other colleagues. 
So starting involvement with a local branch meeting and learning about organisations can lead on to other roles and to develop uh, knowledge and how the functions of these organisations work. But the reality is it can take years of committee meetings to progress through these various roles. Following the Melbourne ICOMS, I became the Oceania representative on the International Association and was able to continue to contribute. I've also been privileged to have been both the president of our association and then the chair of the board of studies, which oversees the training program. So have experienced both the political and educational sides of the specialty, but it starts with collegiality. I couldn't agree more. And if I can just take a moment to digress on my particular journey as well, it kind of coincides with all of you. So I started with my local society, Anna and Anae, for you, you know, the Young Dentist Society was really where it hit me and hit home because I didn't know a soul. When I took my first job, I was in a place where I didn't know anybody. So how was I going to get that collegiality? I am a person who loves to be around other people. And I like to share. And um, I wound up going to my local dental society, actually, which was the springboard for my involvement in organized dentistry and then oral surgery. And it led to my state society, led to the National uh, American Association and then the American College, where eventually I became the president of the American College of Oral Surgeons. But nonetheless, these things led me eventually to the International Association And um, to me, it's my favorite organization. Actually, even though I was president of one of the organizations, I love being with people from around the world to see our commonness and share everything that we do. And I am inspired every time I go to one of our international meetings when we share what we do. And um, it's wonderful, really wonderful. So Let's continue on this path and take a little bit of time. I think, Dr. Liao, we were talking a little bit about leadership opportunities, right? It sounds like you've had some great ones. And I think if it would be possible for you to discuss with us, you know, how did these leadership opportunities come to you? And, you know, at this point in time, you kind of talked a little bit about what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, right? Like you even took some time away from your busy life to go to another place to get some more education and come back home. And how is that giving you more leadership opportunities and why is it important for you? Thank you, Dr. Drew. Well, I started my residency program uh, with a four-month-old baby, which was inevitably a challenge in terms of aiming for leadership positions or fellowship opportunities during that time. I didn't feel at this time very comfortable not participating in my baby's routine because I was already spending too many hours uh, because of the residency hours to be involved in more projects or to be more absent. So in this time, I was not aiming uh, or not was not coming to me many leadership positions, possibilities of leadership positions. Uh, I remember also that at this time, I didn't like to talk in the hospital about my maternity because I felt that 
I could somehow, uh, this could somehow make the uh, other professionals look at me in a different way, maybe not expecting so much from me or thinking that I could suddenly leave the service. But all of this was actually uh, my thoughts and my choice, my personal choice, because through my training and career, I had this incredible family support that allowed me to grab opportunities as I felt comfortable. Uh, I know I'm very lucky about that. Well, then as the years went by, when my daughter growing up, uh, with my daughter growing up and becoming more independent, I was able and comfortable to grow professionally too and reach positions and jobs that I always had as a goal. And we still have a long road ahead of us. So answering your question, I was more aware and aware of and open to leadership opportunity recently, recently in my professional life. Now that I actually feel that I'm really prepared for this too. So yes, today I coordinate the maxillofacial surgery service at one of the hospitals I work at, leading this amazing group of surgeons. And I also uh, run my own business. I conduct my own private practice and the academic uh, environment. I am the chairperson of oral maxillofacial surgery. So I lead some and other professors on the university too. So you got to be the boss lady at work and the mom at home. What a great, <laughs> what a great answer. You know, one of the things that strikes me is in the conversation we're just having is you said, as I felt comfortable. And I think this take home point to our young colleagues out there is there is no recipe for progression. Yes. There is no recipe about how and what point in time you take the helm of some process until you're ready. And sometimes you don't know you're ready and someone will push you. A good mentor or coach will push you into that position, but you also need to be ready personally. And if you're not there and you can recognize that in yourself or you have a really wonderful person in your life that's mentoring you says you know what perhaps it's not time for you for instance let's talk about the american board of oral surgery it's a tremendous commitment of your time as a person when you go to do this because you're working on this even while you're not giving the exam and when you're there you're away for 10 days and typically in the united states it's during a time if you have a family when your children are on school break so when is it correct for you to go? It's something that you have to make the decision with personally, with your family, and knowing that that opportunity is always going to be there for you. So at what point in your career will you go for something like that if you choose to do it? It's a very great, uh, very great comment and very wise. Fortunately, I look back and I don't have any regrets about my family or professional choices and issues. And uh, it's not that I had no restrictions. I think uh, this is not a, a fair tale, you know? I have restrictions and I'm sure I, I, I gave up and of many moments with my family and my friends. This happened to men, to women. The surgical training demands it. But I think it is, it is an internal search for the ba this balance according to what individually 
uh, make sense for the person. That's it's very personal, individual, individual, and no formulas, no recipes, as you said. Maybe I have su su successfully found my my balance. Good for you. Very, very good. Dr. Shand, you know, we were talking a little bit about issues that uh, surgeons face today. You and I have had a, a, a good long career thus far, and hopefully we'll continue on and be lucky enough to continue to teach the next generations. But, you know, as you reflect on your career and uh, where you are now, what do you think that you could state in terms of contemporary issues that are facing us today in oral surgery as women? And um, what, 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 where are you with that? Well, one of the long-standing issues that we're confronted with, so it hasn't really changed with time, it remains the same, is that it's a long, hard road to become a surgeon. And it's even longer for the programs that require both a dental and medical degree. But now there's an increasing recognition of the importance for all surgical trainees and surgeons to achieve a better work-life balance in order to retain active and good surgeons in the longer term. As we all know, there's more opportunities for flexible training to encourage females to pursue a surgical career, but there's no one-size-fits-all model as the situation's quite complex, as you've already discussed. As we all know, there's a few well-recognised trailblazers, but the promotion and advancement of women in surgery is a challenge because it takes time to achieve leadership positions. There's a natural lag in the process because after training, there's a period of consolidation for a new specialist surgeon before they take on additional activities. And Dr. Liao's just re outlined that. Beautiful. So as we've heard earlier, it can take 10 to 20 years to step up through the ranks. When I started training, there were very few female role models. However, with time, there are now more female in leadership roles. And Dr. Drew, you've just given an example of being the chair of your board. There are now many examples of achievement, but when asked to name a few females that I've met along the way who have been integral in the surgical world, Gabrielle Malesi from Austria, who was involved in the Vienna ICOMS way back in 2005, I think. Right, that's right. And she was the first female president of the International Association. Marie Morton from England, who was the president of the British Association. And if I could speak from my own surgical subspecialty, from the subspecialty area of paediatric surgery, we have Bonnie Padua in Boston in the US. The next generation of female surgeons can now observe more of their colleagues fulfilling different roles, see their scope of practice, presentations at conferences, and this can only be encouraging. With the advancements that we have in technology and communication platforms, this information is so much more accessible and visible. Uh, Dr. Drew, you've already mentioned the word mentoring, and I, I completely agree with that. Another area that can really assist in the advancement of a career is having mentors and role models. Mentors are essential to help guide you through and to overcome any roadblocks along the way. 
During a career, we might have multiple mentors at different stages, and some of these may be just quietly supportive and others are more active. Overall, the importance of this mentorship in a surgical life should be recognised and the impact can be substantial. And in fact, they may help us avoid some inadvertent decisions. I've been fortunate to have a number of mentors who have provided years of support and they're still sounding boards for advice and problems. Actually, it's mostly problems now. (laughs) Um, Over... The past few decades, travel and video conferencing have allowed more worldwide interactions. And we know that the world was forced to adapt to change during the pandemic to try and continue to function. And video conferencing became the most used tool. This provided increased opportunities for participation from home or the office by Zoom. For some, this has been an advantage as the constraints of time, travel, even for attending local meetings can be a limiting factor. So this will potentially have a flow-on effect in the longer term for some female colleagues who have now had more opportunity to be involved. Of course, the downside of teleconferencing is the lack of personal interactions, which is so valuable and it's been so sorely missed. And we look forward to the chance to all meet up again. And Dr. Drew, this is now an opportunity, perhaps talking about meeting up and developing opportunities. What would you recommend for a a young applicant thinking of applying for oral and maxillofacial surgery? What thoughts would you share for them now? If I, I may just digress for one moment, I just want to circle back to something you said about role models and the fact that there are now so many women leaders and the optic of oral surgery, I believe, has shifted such that these young dental students can now see that there are women achieving very important things. And it really speaks to all of our colleagues who have taken, been brave and taken the chances to lead. It's not easy to be a leader. And the fact is, is that now that we're here leading in these positions, these young women and girls can see that women can achieve being a surgeon, being an oral and maxillofacial surgeon. And in particular, if you want to, right, on your own timeline, when you're feeling comfortable, as Dr. Leal said, is to reach for some type of leadership position so you can turn around and encourage the next generation. You know, I feel that surgery is a bit of a calling. And if you have the bug in you, if you go to your oral surgery clinic in your dental school and you watch these procedures and you think to yourself, I can't imagine doing anything else but these things. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life, which is pretty much what happened to me. Then you need to do more homework. So we all as surgeons always have to be prepared in the operating room. We don't just go in there and wing it. And you're not going to go in there and wing it when you decide to apply for oral surgery training. You need to do your homework and really see what it means to actually be a surgeon and reach out and talk to people. How do you do that? You do that by externships, right? Get there, go watch and see what goes on in a residency training program. 
and seek out mentors in oral surgery, perhaps going to their office if you can and volunteer there. These are the things that will expose you to the career and not just the work, but also the life. You want to see what's happening in these people's lives. So if you had the opportunity to spend the day with Dr. Chang or Dr. Liao or Dr. Shan, you would get a different vision because each one of them has a very different job on a daily basis. The surgery is kind of all the same, but the job itself is very different. So if, as an academician, you would be with me in an institution, but maybe in Dr. Chung's private practice, you would see something completely different. And that will kind of guide you to say, okay, this is the lifestyle that I think I can live. It may, this, this kind of meshes with my culture and my, and my goals for my life. And I really believe that I could be dedicated because believe me, this is your other partner in your life is your, is your career and your patients besides the people at home. And sometimes no matter what happens, you know, you have to have this calling. You have to know that the patients are going to come first at some point. And it's tough to make those decisions, but you know, you have to do the right thing. So for me, it's all about doing that homework and making sure that you have done everything you can to answer the questions you have. And you have to search in your own soul to say, is this something I want to do? Can I sacrifice the normal woman's life for the exciting life, the excellent life of being a female surgeon in this society today? It's just been a great journey for me. So let's talk to Dr. Chung about what she thinks about preparing female surgeons as leaders, academicians, businesswomen, Talk a little bit about that for me. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Drew. So um, I can't speak for all women, but um, personally, I find it more fun to be involved in different aspects of our field. So as you said, doing our homework and making sure uh, we're, we're um, doing our best um, to, to, to our patients. And at the same time, giving back, um, going back to university, teaching, um, you know, remembering how we did our training and trying to give that back to younger trainees is important too. Um, being a philanthropist, um, trying to do some volunteering work to increase our networking um, field and get to meet more people, not just our own specialty, but also um, other specialties such as, you know, attending conferences or inter-conferences or um, organizing activities with the ENT or plastic surgeons or even uh, doing uh, some uh, volunteering work that involves different specialty will be more fun. You get to learn from each other as well as um, get to uh, promote our field too. Um, that I think um, is what um, uh, current uh, female surgeons would find um, more fun. So um, I definitely want to be um, part of a group that are passionate about the same things to want to be heard and seen with a group of people that are more alike with ourselves. So getting involved is definitely there. So, and then um, eventually we all want to find, you know, the young women's leader kind of coach mentor um, to, to get ourselves engaged in different projects to focus on different age groups with different um, experience and backgrounds to start first as a team player and eventually find our role. And hopefully if we want to be more constructive and do more organization, then um, we can step that ladder and eventually be a leader of that group. So yeah, I think it's really important to have fun, to contribute, to produce wonderful activities, you know, in all aspects of education, networking, training, all the fundamentals of these, uh, uh, even like surgery. And uh, most of all, um, enjoy company and continue to be inspired and to get involved in different aspects. Yeah. So 
Those are great comments. Really, really wonderful, Dr. Chung. You know, you said something that kind of, you said it twice, actually, in conversation. I think it's important for each one of us to maybe talk a little bit about philanthropy in oral and maxillofacial surgery. You know, oftentimes we forget it takes a village to really make these machines run and tick, whether it's on your local level or it's on your state society level or these global societies. And for instance, you know, my hobby, and I'll start this conversation, is painting. And I enjoy it very much. And for my national society, for the AMS and for the ICOMS, you know, I have donated my paintings to attempt to raise money for whatever it is the society needs to support, for instance, fellowships or, you know, giving back to residents. There's there's a way to do it. And, and certainly you can always give money right? But it's kind of more fun for me to give my heart to them, which is 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 my artwork. And I think that speaking to that, I know that the international society really tries very hard to support globally uh, many of the missions that they have to support surgeons in areas that may not have access to some of the things that we are privileged enough to have access to in some of our areas. Dr. Shan, wh- where are you with uh, philanthropy and giving back? And, and maybe talk a little bit about what your vision is for that. Not speaking specifically about philanthropy, but something I haven't discussed, but I have been very, very interested in and have maintained this throughout all the various jobs that I've done. I have been the director of training of our local training program for many years. I've just actually retired after 10 years. And I love teaching. I love taking a new trainee through a procedure, start to finish. It doesn't have to be complex. We do complex surgery, but we also do routine surgery. Mm-hmm. And just the joy over six months where you start them and then you watch them in six months' time and you know that they've learned something and you've done something for them. And it, as I said, it doesn't always have to be the complex. It can be the routine. It can be the discussions about pathology. It can be discussions about genetic conditions. It's, it's the learning. It's the ongoing thing that makes us interested in surgery. It's what makes us go and work in the hospital, teaching, working for those patients in the public sector, it's what makes us surgeons. Yes, we can do procedures. We could be isolated if we wanted to be, but that's an important part of giving back to the specialty. So it's not just all the professional organisations. You've got to remember that that person in their first or second week of their surgical life as a trainee needs to know the simple things, and it's our responsibility to be involved in evolving them into that surgeon that they'll become. So that's my part. What a wonderful legacy you're leaving, Dr. Shand, for the future of our specialty. What a lot of people may have forgotten in your introduction is that you spent a large part of your life in private practice And you are finishing your career in an educational setting, teaching. Yes, ma'am. I am. And it has been the best thing I have ever done. 
I am so joyful to be able to have done this at this point, actually, in my career, which is kind of interesting. I didn't grow up as an academician, so I'm definitely the new kid on the block in the hospital. But I've been there for four and a half years now, and it feels like an old, comfortable shoe at this point. I love being there. And like you said, Dashin, I am extremely moved every time. I see these students transform in front of my eyes. And I know that we're leaving behind competent, beautiful people to continue the legacy of oral and maxillofacial surgery in the, in the world. And it's so important to me. Dr. Liao, what do you think about philanthropy? Yeah, here in Brazil, we have the opportunity to get involved in many philanthropic uh, actions because we have a very needy people, a poor people, and the public services is overloaded. So we have this uh, in private sector uh, doing philanthropic actions. Uh, actually, in the post-graduation uh, courses that I attend, that I uh, I did some classes. We have we attend some surgical patients for free, free of charge. Mm. And I think this philanthropic actions it's like a two way street. You know, students uh, grow in technique and grow in knowledge, and the population receives the health service that it so desperately needs here in Brazil. Very good. And Dr. Chong, you talked about your philanthropic associations and what you're doing. Is there anything special that you're doing now in terms of philanthropy in Hong Kong or um, around the world? Yeah, so um, I am actively involved with um, two um, volunteering um, activities that goes back to the Philippines, which is the country where I grew up, um, to provide cleft lip and palate surgery for the underprivileged uh, population. So um, I love working with children and I love that I'd had the opportunity to go back to the Philippines where I grew up and to be able to give back in that sense. And working with a group of people from different specialties, ENT, plastic surgeons, amazing nurses and anesthesiologists just makes me realize that, you know, we all play our own small part and everyone's part is very crucial to make an event like this or an activity like this to be successful. So I think um, brings back to how we as women are threads of our social fabric and we can have the power and responsibility to build our community. So that's really beautiful to me. You know, you're now taking us into one more area, which I think is super important, which is global surgery, right? And giving yeah. back. And I'm sure you have all on your own level, perhaps travel to go to other parts of the world to volunteer. I personally had spent some time at the Christian Medical College in India, in Vellore, as a, as a first a chief resident. And then I had the opportunity to travel to uh, Mexico to work on cleft lip and palate children. And I will tell you, you know, it is probably the most special experience when you go to a place where you can work with other doctors and give them the gift of education and give the community the gift of, of surgery, right, to make them better. But also when you're doing these things, making sure that you leave behind the tools that they need to continue to care for people. And 
you know, I went originally through the Health Volunteers Organization and then through A Thousand Smiles. Cleft Lip and Palate for me also was a very large part of my career uh, before I came to Atlanta. And um, it is unbelievably moving experience to be able to do that. Um, Dr. Shand, where are you with that in your life? And have you traveled to do work, good work for the children, so to speak? I have had the privilege of traveling with two very experienced surgeons. One was Kevin Smith from Oklahoma, who took me down to Guatemala, where we met Carlos Cruz, who's from Guatemala, but also had spent some time in Melbourne. I've also been to Dhaka in Bangladesh with Professor Andrew Heggie, who was part of a long-standing arrangement that a number of Australian surgeons had established to try and uh, organise a training program in Dhaka because they obviously had great need at that point. So travelling with experienced surgeons makes the whole thing so much more valuable. Indeed, indeed. I would agree. And my opportunities were very similar in terms of experience being an important part of that. At some point, you need to start things, but certainly starting with experienced people with you is important. Dr. Leal, have you had opportunities to do similar work? Well, as I said earlier, I I have just begin my life with travel and exchange experience because uh, that's right now I'm comfortable to leave my daughter and do, but I'm sure uh, I will have this opportunity in the future and I have this will for sure. So I'm going to interrupt you for one minute. I took my daughter <laughs> with me. It was a great opportunity for her as well. So when I went on these trips, I had the first trip, I had my husband with me in India, and he said to me, what am I going to do there? And his actual education allowed him to help them set up the local area network in the hospital, and then also do some videography for them. To the point when we came home from India, they continued to call him for help. <laughs> my daughter, on the other hand, was studying Spanish at the time. And when we had gone to Mexico, she was a young girl, teenager. Um, and literally interviewed all the families and helped take care of these kids in a way that was wonderful. And I didn't know how it was going to go, but it allowed my family an opportunity to have a peek into my life in a way that they would only see me come and go in my scrubs. And then they actually got to be involved in a way that they really understood how attached we become to our patients. Incredible, Dr. Drew. That's so don't worry. That's inspiring. Yes. Take, take her with you when you're ready. <laughs> it would be great. For sure. Well, we've had a great, uh, great morning, evening, having a chat. And I am so inspired by all of you and humbled by the opportunity to get to speak to you in, in this way. You know, I had stated earlier, I never thought in my life I would actually be able to see my friends on a screen like this and have a conversation. I probably would be able to do this all the time if I had the time to do it. And I'm thinking that, you know, the young people that are listening to our conversation will hopefully have some great take-home points, right? When you're ready, you go for it. 
you know, get involved, certainly get involved. You don't have to be invited to get involved. You just need to show up and do the work. And I am looking forward to meeting the new people. I am looking forward to our next community in person. I believe we're going to Vancouver, everybody. Is that where we're going for the international meeting? I am very excited. It's probably one of my favorite cities in the world. It's a wonderful place to go. And I wish you all a happy uh, weekend. And um, I guess it would be winter in the Southern Hemisphere and summer in our Northern Hemisphere. And um, it's wonderful to see you all and uh, have a great, uh, great day and evening. Thank you again for joining us today. Visit us online at www.iaoms.org to become a member of our vibrant global community and to access a variety of education and timely resources. Stay up to date by following IOMS on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast while you're here so you're the first to know when new episodes are released. Until next time.